This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Welcome back, Star Wars fans, to another episode of Coruscant Radio Underground. I'm Andrew. I'm here today with Marisha. Hey. It's only ever me and Marisha, but... Yes, um, these days, alas. One day, one day people will come back, (laughs) I think. That's our story and we're sticking to it. So, um, we're sitting here. It's We're going to record in the middle of the afternoon, which is kind of weird for us. Yep. In the remnants of a hurricane, which is a first for us. Yes, which is honestly a little bit surprising because it's a kind of a hurricane-y part of the world. Yeah, but I mean, we've only done the show for two years. So. That's true. But yeah, everything looks good, and, and the hurricane has passed, and so we're going to talk a little Star Wars. We just got done recording an episode of the Padawan Report that should yes. go up. Should be up by the time you listen to this episode, so if you haven't checked that out, go check that out. We uh, sprung some new questions on the Padawans, and uh, I'm not sure if they were quite prepared for how to how to answer it, but they definitely all came up with answers. Yes, Elijah's was, of course, always my favorite. All right, so I had wanted to record about this like a week ago, and we didn't get around to it, and we're, we're a little bit late on, late on our release. Of course, this episode's going to get dropped. Same day as recording day, which is also unusual for us, but that's what we're doing today. And I wanted to talk a little bit. We haven't covered, we don't cover a lot of comic books because Daniel hasn't been on this show. And I'm not a big comic book reader. Um, I I prefer novels to comics. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with comics. I like looking at them. Um, I don't always, I, I feel like, they you they can't you just can't convey as much information in a comic right. as you can in a book and I'm just I don't read a lot of comics but I did want to talk about there has been a, a some more drama in the community um, as there always is these days and we're not gonna get, really get into the drama as much as we're going to just talk about this book and that is bounty uh, Star Wars bounty hunters. Specifically, issue four, which seems to be what caused the blow-up. So if you're not reading these books, it basically is following a group of bounty hunters. You had one bounty hunter who realized what was happening on a mission where she had a whole bunch of other bounty hunters on this mission with her, decided she wasn't down for killing the target, killed the client instead, screwed the rest of her team, and disappeared. You know, hung everybody out to dry. Disappeared. And she has resurfaced, and now all these people are out to hunt her down and have their revenge. In issue four, we have... I mean, we have quite a few deaths in in these four issues so far. Yeah. I didn't read all through them. I did just read the last one, though. Not to mention the dead people on the ground in the beginning of it. We see, what, three or four people go down in this episode? Yeah, including the character who people are upset about dying, uh, Tionga, torturing Valance, who's kind of our main character we're following through this. We see her torturing him earlier in the same issue. Right. Just to point out that she can. 
Right. If you screw me, I'll zap you to death. Right. My modified restraining bolt. <laughs> I guess here's my thought. People are upset about this character being killed, and it's 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 kind of turned into uh, Star Wars hates women. Uh, Star Wars hates women of color. I don't think that's the issue here at all. I, I think that what you've got is a series of books that's specifically about what everybody has been clamoring for. It is about the gray areas of Star Wars. Yeah. These are all bad guys. Right. Every one of them. There are no good people in this book. Right. These are all bounty hunters and career criminals. Right. The only the only good person I think we see is the pregnant girl. And, and she's part of a crime family. Right. You know, not just like some little thing. She's part of a syndicate. You know, right. she or at least the child of somebody running a syndicate. So we don't right. exactly know how innocent she is either. Right. So I, I think that's the whole point of this book is it's about the gray areas and exploring the gray areas. And that's what people have been clamoring for. I, I'm, I'm all for exploring the gray areas, but... I, what I like about Star Wars is when we explore the gray areas and then we eventually ask that character who's been living in the gray area to make a decision. Right. To either be good or evil. It's like gray. I mean, you call these gray areas, but some of these people are just definite villains. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them are a little more mysterious. We don't really know. The, the, the person in character that everybody's having a fit over here is Boba Fett showing up and killing this character. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't ever really get a clear answer to anything regarding Boba Fett's allegiances other than the money. Right. Oh, well, no, I, I don't so think I there's... I think Boba Fett is probably the most morally great character in this book. Oh, Yeah. He's just serving as a plot device and showing up and disrupting things. Whenever the what Lash uh, breaks that guy's neck in the first couple of panels, then what? She's a badass. But whenever Boba Fett shows up, shows up and shoots a woman, then he then now the story is misogynistic. Right, because the wrong person died. Um, I mean, the it it's not the kind of story where the good people win. There are no clearly. Good it's, it's like watching Game of Thrones and getting mad because oh no, they killed off that character. Oh no, <laughs> say they didn't kill off that one that you liked and that made your political statement. Right. Well, you know, that was the same thing. You have this game. You know, in Game of Thrones, like I tried reading the books. I didn't love the books. They're too convoluted. The first one's fine. The first one's good. But the the thing about those books is. The best I can tell, there are no actual good guys Yeah. in Game of Thrones. It's not a story about a hero, right. which is actually one of the things that calls it into question as whether it's actually high, can be considered high fantasy or not. Um, high fantasy is usually centered around a hero or a group of heroes, and we don't have that in Game of Thrones. Right. And you don't have that here. I mean, you might have somebody who you latch on to as the hero, and clearly, right. that's people latched onto and identified with this character. Now, when I talk about characters dying, I always go back to Joss Whedon. Because Joss Whedon has been the angel of death <laughs> for characters. He has created, I mean, he's killed his, you know, he's killing his creations. Right. Um, now, th this is not going to be a, is Joss Whedon a good person discussion? I, right. This is not a, we're going to condemn Joss or... 
talk about all the great things, how great of a person Joss is. I don't care about any of this. This is about Joss Whedon, the filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And at Joss Whedon, the filmmaker, is one of the best at what he does, despite all this mess with uh, Justice League. It's hard to know who's at fault on Justice League. I mean, you brought a guy in after a movie was basically made and asked him to somebody else with an entirely different way of making movies right. to finish it. Of course it came out weird. It's almost as bad as having, it may be worse than making a trilogy of movies and having a different person right. make each one. Or right. not even just a director. Director's fine, but a different writer on each one. Right. With with no like main timeline planned out. So Joss Whedon is notorious for killing characters, beloved characters. Mm-hmm. He killed Wash. <laughs> he he did. He, but he's killed a lot of characters. He killed him. He killed big loved characters off on Buffy. Mm-hmm. He's done that his whole career. Yeah. And he's been asked about it a lot of times, and he says because it makes it real. Yeah. He says because in the real world, sometimes the hero dies and the villain lives. Because. There are no stakes right. if there is some sort of plot armor protecting the main characters all the time. Well, I mean, like, our eight-year-old has started, whenever we're watching things, being like, don't worry, he's not going to die. He's the main character. Oh, boy, is she in for a surprise. <laughs> it, it's kind of this thing where, where something that we do have a lot of shows where the heroes wear plot armor. Yes. And you know it. Right. And, you know, what? how many times was Matt Dillon shot during Gunsmoke? <laughs> like a hundred times in 50 knife wounds. And <laughs> Yeah. So sometimes you do have characters that just wear plot armor and you know that no matter how bad the situation gets, they're going to live. But if you want to lend realism to your stories, sometimes the unexpected has to happen. Sometimes characters that you love have to die. Sometimes the innocent character dies. But that's not what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a book, specifically about a whole bunch of... Bad guys. At, at best, morally ambiguous characters. Mm-hmm. Yes, she had walked away from, this was a character that had walked away from the bounty hunting life, but jumped right back in it. Right. To, to go deal with this one last thing. Right. So. You know, and it's probably not helpful that um, for Lucasfilm to have made such a big deal about her sexuality in the story before they killed her. Well, I mean, that that's the thing. is like, yeah, you, you make a big deal about that and then kill the character. Yeah, you're going to get blowback. It's like, why? It still shouldn't. It's, you still shouldn't get the blowback, but you have to know that you're going to at this point. But you can't move forward with the storytelling if certain character types all have plot armor. Right. You shouldn't be able to tell by the way someone looks or or any given thing about them that they're automatically going to live because they are a certain political statement in in the real world that shouldn't be a guarantee that someone's going to survive in Star Wars but neither it, you know in especially in today's climate whoever's making this it's like should have been able to look and go yeah that's probably not going to go over super well right like i mean 
did nobody think like, you know, this is like something people talk about, you know, um, is that is, is a tradition of killing off your queer characters. You know, that's that sort of kind of a conversation that, that goes around and the people who were putting this out should be aware of that and should have known not to step in that. Like why? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you're talking about a book where I literally expect most of these characters to be dead. I expect the kid to live. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there will be a few people that will survive, but I, I large you know largely think these characters were created to die in this book. Mm-hmm. Like it or not, it's kind of an interesting dynamic of just telling a story where there are no good guys, right? Because you want to latch onto someone in the story. Right. Yep. Um, now, my whole thing with this story is four issues in, there's not one thing that makes me care about any character in this, but I'm a Boba Fett fan. So Boba Fett shows up and cracks some skulls a couple of times an issue, and, I, you know, I'm getting to see Boba Fett do what Boba Fett does. Right. So, I'm, you know, to me, that's the best part of the book. Now, that all being said, this is probably, like I said, I don't read a lot of comic books. This is one of my least favorite series of books I've ever read. Simply because it is, the writing is just kind of all over the place. The pictures are really nice. The pictures are nice, but I mean, that's, I don't expect Marvel and Star Wars to put out something without, you know, nice artwork at this point. So, I don't know, but it, it is what it is. I mean, did you have any other thoughts on the book? I mean, not really. It's just, you know, it, it seems a little much to pick out one of the murders in this story and declare the whole thing to be misogynistic because one of them was a woman. Right. And but that's the thing. If you want characters like that, these are war stories. Right. All of them. The Star Wars is it's it's about wars largely. Right. If you want these kinds of characters in your stories, and I know people do, they're going to occasionally die. They cannot just by virtue of their description of mm-hmm. who they of of who they are, right, have plot armor. There certainly wasn't. I did see. I saw somebody complain. You know, it sometimes it makes you wonder how carefully people read through things because somebody was screaming about how they made that and, and then they made that tortured that pregnant woman into having a miscarriage. And that's not what happened. Right. Like she rescued the pregnant girl whose baby daddy was getting ready to have her murdered and ran off with her. The mother died in childbirth and the child lived. That's not a miscarriage. Right. Just to clarify. The mother dies, the baby lives, not a miscarriage. And yes, I mean, that's, I think, but I think the point was that your brother that you idolize was a terrible person who tried to murder the woman, his pregnant girlfriend. Right. You know, I think that that was the point of that was to make a statement that, no, he was terrible, you know, and you've wasted how many years of your life trying to avenge him. Yeah, I mean, there are some interesting dynamics that they've created in this book. But, again, if you want to see 
more diversity of character types, then some of them are going to die. Yeah. And you've you've got to be accepting of that. Well, and it's not like Star Wars has killed off all of its... You know, it's, it's had lots of different types of characters, especially in books. And a lot of them are still around and kicking. Right. But, I mean, specifically in this type of story where yeah. you're, you're definitely killing people off. But, again, like, you know, some of this is... This one's pretty brutal. And here's my real feeling about this. Because a lot of the outcry is you created this character, then you wasted this character. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she's... I don't, first of all, I don't think she's totally wasted. I think that this is a pivotal point in this story. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that Star Wars, for the last few years, hasn't just primarily been wasting new characters. Yeah. Movies, books, TV, they're, they're creating new characters. Some I, of them are great. And some of them are great. And some of them are great, and they're still underusing them or misusing them. Right. And some of them are never given a chance for us to like them because they're just never given. They show up and we're kind of told, pay attention to this character, Mm -hmm. and then nothing ever happens. Yeah. And the whole thing about her being a Rose Tico stand-in, I mean... I I don't get that. I don't see that. I mean, just because... you know, she has a different haircut. She has different skin colors. She also wears a brown jacket. So, you know, Rose does that at some points. But I, I think that that's really a stretch. People acting like that they intentionally created a Rose character to kill. Yeah. I, I, I think I that's really a stretch. I think that's a big time stretch. Here's the other thing. Rose is still out there. There's no guarantee we're done yeah. With seeing Rose Tico. Especially since she just signed on to do another movie at Disney. Right. But this character, like, was Rose underused in The Rise of Skywalker? Yes. Probably. Yes. I mean, I think she's a character that... Okay, so I do think that Rose delivers one of the worst lines in the entire saga at the end of The Last Jedi. I understand the point of the statement. I think it was not handled well in the way it was done in the screenplay. Again, that's not Kelly Marie Tran's fault. Right. Kelly Marie Tran nailed everything she did. You know, the actor delivers the lines they're given. They don't get to just make them up on the spot. Right. And so this whole not being able to separate the two that a lot of people have, a lot Mm -hmm. of people are just having a lot of trouble separating actors from... Characters. They're characters, and that's kind of scary, yeah. uh, actually. But I would love to see more done with Rose. Mm-hmm. I don't know that Rose at this point, because she has been so underutilized, there was talk of a Rose Tico TV series. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't know what you do with that to make, you know, at this point, unless you can find something to do with her after the rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and I think they're, they're, that's the most likely Like, scenario. you don't do a prequel with Rose because I think we see the moment that Rose becomes an interesting character in The Last Jedi. Right. Before that, she's just kind of living in the shadow of her sister. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't necessarily think that, you know, the maintenance brigade is the most riveting thing that you can do in Star Wars. And I think that's kind of the point of Rose is that she's not a terribly interesting or important person 
necessarily until she steps up and does what needs to be done. And, you know, I think that's kind of the point is that, you know, she's willing to do what needs to be done. And that's important. Anybody can be a player, right? Um, But if she's a player before that, then that sort of downplays the significance of of, of that moment uh, in the story. I do think that Rose mostly lost out to screen time in The Rise of Skywalker because I think it's clear that there was already more story that they felt like they needed to tell around the central storyline than they really had time to. Yeah. And they decided to pull in a whole bunch of new characters, which, like, I mean, I thought Janna was a interesting character. I thought she was a good addition, but it was like you can only bring in so many new characters and still give... Because, I mean, again, Rose was a new character in The Last Jedi that got a lot of screen time. And then, so when you decided to bring in several new um, kind of major players in the third movie, the stage starts to get real crowded. It is what it is, but that's kind of our thoughts on Star Wars Bounty Hunters. Other thing we were going to kind of talk about tonight was how hot it is in this house with the air conditioner off. It really is. This is why we don't usually record in the middle of the day because it is um, Mississippi and it doesn't actually cool down until (laughs) eight or so in the evening. Yeah. So we're sitting here, you know, baking, baking and and recording a podcast, but you would rather listen. You would that that's better than you having to listen to our air conditioner for a whole episode. Yeah. Another thing, I ran across an interesting conversation online um, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, among some of our Twitter friends, where they were discussing the concept of the the Last Jedi, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it a little, I think. But we mostly talk about who is actually the chosen one. Right. But they were having an interesting conversation over who is the last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of led to me going down a rabbit hole and realizing that that's actually something that quite a few people are debating. Mm, interesting. Uh, now, the, the the idea of being the last Jedi is a... it's. Being the chosen one is like this badge of honor. Like right. being the last Jedi is not that. It's just it's, it's a state of being. It's, it's 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 almost like a title of like you are the end of this thing, and mm-hmm. it, it's almost like a black mark. But I realize that there are still a number of people that kind of have this debate. But I kind of guess where I always go of it is. And even Ryan Johnson said this, The Last Jedi is specifically a reference to Luke Skywalker. He is the only person that we ever see given mm-hmm. that designation by Yoda. Right. And and we know there are other Force users out there. Right. We know that even more now than we might have even thought it was possible then. Like, now we right. know there are other Force users, but Yoda tells him... The last of the Jedi you will be. So Luke is kind of given that black mark of mm-hmm. like, you're it. You're the end. End of the right. line. Right. Um, unless you do something about it. Um, so kind of this back and forth over who is the last Jedi. Is it Luke or is it Ray? Well, Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, say what you got to say because I, I I know where you're going to go, but I have a very specific thought about. Okay, so Luke is the last Jedi, 
until he's not. He is the last Jedi until he trains someone else. And then that person has the chance to carry on the mantle or not. Right. But we still only see one person. So the way you have to look at this is not who is actually the last Jedi. Mm -hmm. Because there are other Jedi alive. Mm -hmm. Even Kylo comes back to the light at the end. Uh, So there are, and his his students, I mean, he had a number of other students that are all killed. Um, So even at that point, so, but the, the title of The Last Jedi is specifically a reference is a story point reference, not an not a fact, not an not a not actuality. Like there are other force users out there, including one that we would call one of the greatest Jedi, or somebody who's like everything a Jedi is supposed to be in Ahsoka, is still out there, presumably. Or were you, were you saying after Return of the after Jedi? After Return of the Jedi, okay. Yeah. That's when Luke is 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 given that designation as a mm-hmm. story point. It's, so it's my, my point is is that even when Luke is given that de- designation, we have to look at that as a story point, not as a fact, because there are other Jedi out there. Okay. The title of the last Jedi is never given to anyone else. Luke doesn't say, Ray, you're the last. He says something different when he's fighting Kylo. He doesn't pass the mantle. He, he essentially gives Ray a new designation. Whether or not, even though it's not directly, it's in conversation with Kylo. He casts off the title of The Last Jedi, right? When he's fighting Kylo in the, at the end of The Last Jedi. I will not be The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. So that's Luke shedding the title. Of course, he dies. Right. Ray's not the last. Ray is the first. Right. So it's a transition point where we change directions, where we're seeing the Jedi slowly disappear. Right. To the point where we kind of get a, a cyclical thing, where which is great because we've always had these cyclical um, kind of a ring cycle-esque things about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so we come back around to if Luke is the last, Ray isn't also the last because Luke has, it's almost like it was a curse that was on Luke. The last. You're the last. It's this thing that hung over his head right. until the end when he addresses Kylo and says, I will not be the last. Mm-hmm. And once he sheds that title, that designates Ray as the first. I mean, I, I think that that's a, that's a good point. Um, I think that the title last can't, can't apply to anyone else because it, we don't even know who might still be out there. We know there are other Force users out there right. at this time. So I, I think that it's only a desert. Like I said, it's almost like this curse that's on Luke mm-hmm. until he decides that he's not going to be the last. Yeah. Which takes him 30 years. Well, he, he had already decided he wasn't going to be the last one time and that didn't go so well. Right. And then he had just decided that's it. We're just going to sit out here and, and we're just going to die. This is just going to be the end. Right. Um, it's interesting though, that people always want to pull out. It's time for the Jedi to die as the, theme of that movie when in reality the theme, the theme of, of the movie, movie is that every word you just said is wrong and that I will not be the last Jedi that that's that's really the actual right point. The, the idea of the Jedi must end is what we're actually fighting against right burn it down erase it let it die that is the villain's theme mm-hmm. for the last Jedi 
Right. Luke is stuck in this position of he has lost faith mm-hmm. and he's beginning to believe the villain's mantra. Well, I mean, and that's why indoctrination is so effective because you lie at somebody for long enough and eventually you beat somebody down and you lie to them for long enough and eventually they start to say, you know what, maybe you're right. Right. You know, and and sometimes it kind of disguises itself as, you know, wisdom or, you know, I'm being enlightened enough to acknowledge the failings of my predecessors, my own failings, where in reality it's just we've been beaten down. Right. Um, but yeah, I think I think that that's, you know, clearly the last Jedi is is referring to Luke primarily. You know, and I think that you can, and I think you could still make the point that there there is kind of a a, a moment. You know, there's there's a season where Ray kind of, uh, maybe not consciously but kind of has that designation you know you could you can make that argument but um i think that so interesting at her- interesting point about ray luke is told that he'll be the last jedi after he's completed his training mm-hmm. we don't know that ray completes her training until sometime after i mean you know we have the moment at the end and maybe that sort of stands in as her, her trials at the end of the last Jedi. At the end of the Rise of Skywalker. Okay, yeah. So the real question is: is when does she actually become a Jedi? Become a Jedi Knight. Yeah. Um, well, she doesn't course, build her own lightsaber, which is the last step, until sometime at the end. At the end of the Rise of Skywalker. Right. So I mean, and I think that uh, at some point, I do hope we get some kind of story of. What comes next? Because I think that she, in spite of all of the hardship, I think she's kind of got maybe more of an idealistic viewpoint um, than Luke had at the end of Return of the Jedi. Because he was idealistic about Vader, but not much else by that point. Like, he still believed that there was good in his father, but as for everything else, I feel like he's kind of become a little jaded. Uh, by that point, no, you don't think. I, I mean, I don't. I don't think so. But I, I mean, and he's um, definitely not. He's definitely doesn't have the same kind of Dewey idealism he had at the beginning. No, but because, I think some of that is just the maturity and the moving past emotional. Um, you know, part of the uh, George Lucas's idea of of the Jedi as mm-hmm. you know. Moving past attachment and and excessive emotion and in these things, where I think that what you see is Luke matured and become Obi Wan's heir, really in this. Mm-hmm. But I think that you see you see Luke nearly consumed by his mission, right? In Return of the Jedi, yeah. But you know, I think Ray has still. You know, she has managed to retain, you know, she's got a little bit more streetwise kind of going on. But in general, she still comes off a lot more um, childlike I, in, in all the best ways I, exactly. than Luke does. Well, she, and I think that that's one of the things we've talked about, this like inner child mm-hmm. um, and the importance of like you actually like your inner child 
not be dead mm-hmm. to enjoying fantasy storytelling. Yeah. Um, and I and think I, that Ray's got that. She's got that. People, that hate, people hate that scene. I don't know why people hate that scene where she goes to the homestead on Tatooine at the end. And I've seen people get really upset because she takes that, whatever it is, and slides down the dune into the mm-hmm. old homestead. And it's and it plays the scavengers theme. Mm-hmm. And it's all these things. And it's like, because Luke did probably come out of Return of the Jedi, even though we see him become this great Jedi Knight and, and do all these things, like he lost his innocence yeah. to save Vader. He's a little he's a little more hardened. And I, I people really you just you let her go through all these toils and then you show that she and then you you act like she's still just a child. It's like no, it's that she still has that childlike wonder. Mm-hmm. And I think all adults that don't have that should wish they still did. So are you going to tell me that if you go to Disney World, you're not going to ride a roller coaster? Right. Like, I mean, it's the same kind of thing. I mean, there are no roller coasters in Star Wars. This is like, ooh, this... I mean, like, my mom used to roll down the levees with us when I was a kid, you know, because it was it was a thing that, you know, sometimes... I mean, for heaven's sake, I'm 33 years old, and every once in a while when I'm taking my uh cart out at walmart i get on it and i ride across the parking lot because it's fun (laughs) you know what eight-year-old me thought that it was fun and it's still fun Uh, of course i don't do it quite as enthusiastically or quite as visibly as i did when i was eight (laughs) but there's nothing it doesn't make you not an adult to still be able to enjoy the things you enjoy the things you you enjoy when you were a child i love that scene at the end for a host of reasons Mm mm-hmm uh, and one of them is that the Ray that we met on Jakku, she's she's still her. Mm-hmm. Like she's still that wide-eyed kid in a lot of ways. You know, not that she hasn't matured and become our hero. Yeah. But that she still can see the world without being so jaded about everything. She's she's a lot more like Leia than she is like Luke. Yeah. I mean, because we see Leia all the way to the end. But you know, I think and that's I mean, the she's thing. been playing think... politics for forty years. I mean, this woman should be mean as a snake, but she's not. <laughs> but I think that's the wonderful thing, and it's people that don't like the whole Ray Skywalker thing. She's casting off this dark thing. I mean, she sure she could embrace Palpatine and say, "I'm gonna like you know bring the family name back." It's like, yeah, that's not the kind of family name you you know bring back. But right, like. You know, if your name's Hitler and you decide, I don't want to be a Hitler anymore, I want to be, you know, Mother Teresa. So I'm changing my name from Adolf to, you know, (laughs) okay, maybe not the best. Now I couldn't come up with the analogous names, but you get the idea. (laughs) Right. So I I do think that what I what I see in her is and, and the reason that she sees Luke and Leia there is this whole first of all, it's this coming full circle mm-hmm. thing that so was so important to tying the story all to, to tying it all up. Mm-hmm. But those were her masters. Yeah. And the thing about even though she came to Luke later mm-hmm. and her time with Luke was short. Her time with Leia was longer, and we don't know if they're, they don't really give us any indication of whether she's had interaction with Luke 
As a forest ghost. As a forest ghost. But yeah. these are, we know that the Padawan and master relationship mm-hmm. is a lot like a father and child. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the that her two masters, and she's become them. She's become mm-hmm. the best of, Both of Luke them. and the best of Leia. And yeah. that's where our new story, now that's where we can move forward and tell this new story from... Mm-hmm. From this beginning point. That's and that's what everybody wants for their children, is they want their children to be the best of who they are. Right. And and she is, you know, kind of fills that role. She is, she's the best parts of them. And, you know, as I've said before, as somebody who's um, got some pretty reprehensible things in the family tree, to be able to claim that, you know, you don't have to change your name to say that I don't have to be that person, but it's valid. It sh- I mean, it is absolutely, and I will die on that hill, you know, to be willing to cut the ties with the evil and the power and the all of the things that they're tied to in your past and to be able to say, I'm something different. That's valid. You know, that's something that people get to do. Honestly, I feel like, like you said, going back to where the story began, it's so, and it fits, you know, it's a memorial. It's, it's not for her. It's for, it's for Luke and Leia. It's, it's a memorial, you know, her memorial to them, her going there to say goodbye to them mm-hmm. in, in the place, the only place that really they're both have, have a connection to anymore. I mean, right. Leia's planet's gone. Well, see, that's the other thing that seems to have been forgotten where they were taken and buried. Is where Shmi is buried. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, there there is no Alderaan. Right. And despite the fact that, you know, people say, why would she bury Luke on the place that he couldn't wait to escape from? Or where his father was, you know, in, in you know, a slave. It's like, you know, whatever. First of all, Luke doesn't really, as far as we know, he knows very little about the connection of his father to Tatooine. Mm-hmm. But... What he does know, and here's the thing, and I can speak to this coming from small town. Mm-hmm. And I've said this on this show before. Coming from the small town that everybody grows up dreaming about leaving. Right. You can't wait to leave for whatever it's for, whether it's college or to take a job or whatever it is. I, you know, it's it's the small town thing all across this country and probably around the world when you grow up in a small town and you just can't wait for the day that you can leave mm-hmm. to bigger and grander adventures. Yeah. Adventures that are too big for where you are currently. But the thing is, is that you can leave home, but it, it's it's always going to be part of you. Right. And and so I do... Unless it blows up. Unless it <laughs> blows up. I mean, they could have like buried her on an asteroid or something. I don't know. <laughs> but no, the fact that... She was returned to the, or her saber. I mean, there are no bodies. The, their sabers were symbolically buried there on Tatooine, where the story began. Is huge. Yeah. That, that's a that's a wonderful moment. Like, sure, you can twist it and, and talk about you know Anakin was a slave there, but it's something he overcame. He wasn't a slave on the Lars Homestead. Right. No, that's where his mother was taken. What lived when she was, was rescued? Free. Yeah. And that's where, you know, that's where Luke grew up. That's where the people, that's where his, the people who loved him his whole life, that's where his parents were. Yeah. 
That's where they died. That's where his grandmother died. That's where Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, who were his parents, died. You know, and so it's fitting. It's it's a fitting end. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a whole whole other thing from where we started off conversing on this. Mm-hmm. But but no, I really do enjoy that that ending. It's it's actually one of my favorite things about mm-hmm. that movie is that the, they brought things around full circle. Yeah, I know some people like every once in a while. I mean, okay, I just adored Rise of Skywalker. It just I just, I watched it and it was like, I love this. This may be my favorite Star Wars movie. I'm sitting, I'm so excited. And then like the the internet comes back and then everybody's like, meh. I still can't figure out what everybody just likes about that movie so much. I thought it was great. <laughs> I enjoyed The Rise of Skywalker. I mean, no, I, nothing against people who don't like it. I just don't get it. No, I mean, you know, we don't all have to like the same movies. I do hope that this big gap that they're leaving us with between movies because it's it's a four-year gap mm-hmm. um you know people are saying oh it's just three years it's like well it was three years just, from now three years from now it's or a little a more than three and years and a half now. it's a four-year gap movie. between movies yeah. and that's if they don't experience any more setbacks mm-hmm. and that's a really long time so i'm really hoping that they they really look at this and get get something on track and and take the things that they did right and take the things that they did wrong and figure out how to move forward. Yep. Because they did do some things right. It's not fair to point at it and say, oh, this was all terrible. Largely the movies are are all really good. There there are there's some moments in all of them that somebody hates. But um largely enjoyed the the movies. But mm-hmm. Not much else really going on. We're kind of going to be doing a lot more of this kind of stuff, topical stuff. And, um, you know, we do have some news coming out on, um, or at least we're kind of seeing some video games stuff. We got a new trailer, a a new uh, campaign trailer for Star Wars Squadrons today. I mean, I'm not a video game person, but it looks amazing. Well, the campaign trailer, I was... People were excited about this, calling it the next evolution of the X-Wing games or the X-Wing versus TIE Fighter games. Mm -hmm. And this just looked like a really super upgraded version of X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. It's those those kinds of missions. I'm really excited about it. And I am excited to see the multiplayer as well. That's honestly what I'm more excited about. But I am really excited about the missions. Yeah. And then we saw a new, some new Lego Star Wars stuff. I hadn't really looked at too closely yet. And then apparently The Sims is uh, adding on... Batu uh, Is doing uh, Batu. Yeah, and that's awesome. Yeah. It looks like so much fun. Um, I, I've never cared. I played The Sims like way back when it first came out. And played it for a little while. Yeah, not that long ago. <laughs> Um, it's not one I played a lot. It was, it's just not my kind of game, but I, I may have to, uh, get it and check out Batu on, on the Sims. Well, I mean, there's been, and there's been a lot of clamoring for a, a Star Wars, oh, open world game. So this may be kind of a little bit of a step in that direction, huh? Well, you know, there is a Star Wars open world RPG. Oh, is there? Um, uh, Star Wars... The Old Republic. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's been yeah. around for a while. Now, that game is very problematic. Um, it's just not a very good game. Right. 
But man, those trailers were so amazing. Oh, they made some of the best trailers for any video game I don't know how much money they spent on the game, but it was worth it for those excellent, (laughs) beautiful little movies they made. Um, Yeah, really good trailers on those. Game, the gameplay, not so great. Um, But anyway, you know, there's been some talk about a new version or a new game, kind of that same open world. And Mm -hmm. um, I think they'll do it. Lord of the Rings, they're doing that Lord of the Rings open world Mm-hmm. game that's going to be coming out eventually. I saw some screenshots from that yesterday. They give Gollum a lot more hair so he wouldn't look so creepy. <laughs> I bet he looks more creepy, doesn't he? I think he looks more creepy with more hair. I, I just... Is it just said earlier, maybe? Is that why they didn't give Gollum so much hair? Maybe he has No, they more... literally said so that he didn't look quite so creepy because I think they want kids to play the oh. game, too, and I, I think he was just... And uh, Gollum scares children. <laughs> yeah. My youngest brother was terrified of Gollum for a while. That's funny. But anyway, I, I think that's going to do it for this episode, unless you've got something else you wanted to add before we wrap up. I don't think so. I think I'm about out of things to say, which is kind of significant for me. I don't typically run out of things to say. <laughs> All right. Well, the only thing that I wanted to add was that I I do think we're going to try to do some live streaming during Dragon Con. Uh, which is just a little, it's just a week away now. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, because this weekend was supposed to be celebration. We're all sad we're not there. Oh, that was another thing. I, I, I did want to mention this, so let's let's rewind just a little bit. We'll come back and do this in a second. Speaking of Dragon Con, who is going out of their way to put on this massive virtual mm-hmm. convention? Uh, DC just had DC Fandom, which was a big, big convention. It went over mm-hmm. really well. Um, and a lot of a lot of even your mid-sized cons like Wizard World have been doing virtual panels and stuff. Yep. What do you think when you take all of that into consideration and then look and realize that Disney just or Lucasfilm or whoever's in charge of actually putting on uh, Star Wars Celebration just pulled the plug and said, "Yeah, we'll see you in two years." Yeah. You know, I think all they maybe, did was they literally yesterday they opened up the celebration store. Yeah, I got because that. Because they'll email. still take our money. Right. I guess maybe whenever that everyone else hadn't made all these huge plans, whenever they canceled this con, but I would have thought that whenever everybody else sort of jumped on and was like, oh no, we're, st-, I mean, San Diego Comic Con still pulled off a ton of stuff and they were a lot more pressed for time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a lot less time. Well, Dragon, to get- Con, Dragon Con's got all this stuff planned. Let's. Here's the thing about Dragon Con. It's only a week later. It was only going to be a week later. And it's all volunteers. Right. No one, and, and so literally all these people could have actually made money. They, they still could have, I don't know, maybe Disney just didn't want to spend any money at this point for an event that they were going to not recoup much off of but i mean for all of people i mean those tickets were expensive mm-hmm. and they yes they bumped them on to the for for the the event in two years which is which is fine but some kind of gesture of hello all of you people who spent hundreds of dollars on tickets here's something we're very sorry that this is canceled here's something you know that we can still do yeah I mean, and Disney's got, you know, enough money to have pulled something off, I think. I think so. 
I think they should have done something. I mean, Dragon Con's doing virtual Dragon Con, and it's free. Yeah. Like, doesn't matter if you had a ticket or not. They rolled our tickets ahead. Now, you know, at least that was the good thing was our celebration tickets. They rolled them forward, but they didn't say, oh, we'll see you next year. Two years. Two years. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little disappointed that they didn't move forward with some kind of panels. I mean... The thing is, is people invest. People invest took time off. People were had plane tickets. People had hotels. Granted, they might have been able to recoup some or most of that, or maybe all of it if they were lucky. But at the same time, it's like the fact that you're not even going to still have a few, you know, even a few panels. You know, so here it was just you went. Well, we're not doing a movie for four years, so let's just pull the plug and right. You know, here was kind of the way I felt about uh, Celebration. And I mean, Celebration is my favorite con I've ever been to. Like, I felt like the people who were there were some of your most positive Star Wars fans. You know, they may not have always well, agreed on everything, I, but it was a really good experience. However, the things that were the purview of the company were less stellar. Right, the the Hayden Christensen line that we stood in for like four hours, oh, and top, that, that was all tops. Tops did a terrible. That job moved that back stuff. and forth across the daggum. Oh no, we've got too many people here. You have to move across the room. Oh no, now you're going to move you back across the warehouse. You know, so that was Reed popping tops that made a mess out of that stuff. Okay, so is that someone different than who's running celebration this year? No, it's still Reed Pop, I think. So you know, that's kind of. That was kind of my my some of my thoughts on celebration is well, that see Reed Pop is just the they're handling the venue and ticketing and and that kind of stuff. Okay, they didn't need Reed Pop to say, "Hey, guess what? We had so and so lined up for a panel at Celebration, or we were going to show you the um, the Mandalorian season two trailer at Celebration." So let's have a panel and let's have John Favreau and Dave Filoni on and whatever other directors they can get on. They could have done that. And honestly, I imagine most of those actors and directors are just as eager to have something to be excited about as the fans are right now. I mean, you know, I, I know people who work, you know, in the film industry and it's a little bit of a depressing place right now because it's like our jobs, you know, it's like, when are we going to be able to work again? That's not just fans. That That's a huge industry where people would probably be really, like I said, would be really thrilled to have something to talk about the things, a venue to talk about the things that they love and, and be excited about. Yeah. It's one of those things where I'm assuming that Celebration is handled by Lucasfilm through Reed Pop and all that stuff. But Star Wars or Lucasfilm and Disney both have never done a really good job it's like they bought Star Wars. Sure, they built a park, but it has taken them a really long time to integrate anything. It was like for a long time, I mean, May the 4th has become the fans' mm -hmm. uh, Star Wars uh, holiday. Mm -hmm. And until this year, right? Disney nor Lucasfilm had ever been like, oh, yeah, let's do this online on that day and, you know, really play this thing up and promote our product. It's just like, you almost feel like Lucasfilm and Disney take Star Wars fans for granted. 
And that's probably, I mean, what, your dad was at Disney World on May the 4th one year, right? And you were like, oh, I bet that was exciting. He was like, nope, not a single thing. Yep. Nothing. Um, and, and that's probably true It that they may take Star Wars fans for granted. And, you know, there is always a vocal, very unpleasant contingent of Star Wars fans that may be just make them feel like they want to wash their hands of the whole affair, but that would be dumb because then they're not going to make any more money off Star Wars. Yeah, and the thing is, is is who's to blame for that? A lot of people like to point a finger and go, well, this is Disney's fault. I, I think that Disney is largely letting Lucasfilm do what Lucasfilm wants to do. Yeah. I don't know that it's fair to really point fingers at Disney over, I mean, some things, things that are going on in the parks, absolutely. Yeah. Um, or things that are not going on in the park, like doing right. away with Star Wars weekends. Right. It's like, sure, now you have Batu and you'd be like, every day is Star Wars Day. But Star Wars weekends were so much more than just like having Star mm-hmm. Wars in the park. It was that you had, it was like a convention at right. Disney World. Yeah. It was like having Comic-Con at Disney World where all the celebrities showed up. You had a big parade. You did all these things that are not not part of the normal Disney experience. Not to mention you got some people who were this, there just to go to Disney World super into Star Wars. That, that's that's what got Selena. You know, they happened to be at Disney World on a Star Wars weekend. And it yeah. was like, oh, it's my new thing. You know, right. it's like you could actually pull new people in, you know. Because it wasn't just like having a Star Wars park. It was a weekend where Star Wars literally took over. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe people who just don't like Star Wars didn't like that. I don't know. Those weekends were always very big. Yeah. So it's hard to say. But anyway, that really is going to do it for this episode of Coruscant Radio Underground. Like I was saying before, which is what derailed us, we are going to try to do if 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 any if we see any interest we're going to try to do some live streaming of some of the dragon con activities particularly probably um there's going to do a virtual parade we'll see how that goes mm-hmm. to doing the the big costume contest the, the masquerade costume contest all the costume contests do, actually okay. i think they're doing the friday night contest too so i think that we will probably live stream some of those events for any of our fans who also like dragon con or just want to see kind of what it won't be it won't really be dragon con but if you i think that they're going to really i think that dragon con Flavor is really going to come through from what I'm seeing of what they're planning. Yeah. So um, come hang out with us for those live streams and check out everything going on at Dragon Con Goes Virtual. Excellent. And so until next week, Marisha, where can people find you? You can find me on my website, uh, princessesandpadawans.com. You can find me on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore padawans and on Twitter at ppadawans. All right, and you can find me running the Twitter account for this show at crew underscore podcast. That's C-R-U underscore podcast. You can find me on our other show, me and Marisha, both on our other show at the Science Fictionary Podcast, where we talk about everything geeky and... Not um, Star Wars. Not Star Wars. We say not Star Wars. We started it so we could talk about not Star Wars, but it's not that Star Wars never creeps into the conversation over there. Um, And you can find us at thesciencefictionary.com. And as always, you can check us out as well as the rest of the Red 5 podcast family at red5network.com or at Red 5 Network on Twitter. And until next time, may the force be with you.